welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith. I am a stress reduction coach, and I am all about helping you significantly reduce your stress so that you can actually enjoy your daily life. Now, today on the podcast, we have an incredible guest, Shauna Curry. I first met Shauna when I was going through the ATBX small business program. It was midway through our program and the organizers brought in Shauna to do a little session on stress reduction. So as a stress reduction coach, I geek out on learning from others, particularly those with different backgrounds. Shauna is an RN. She's the owner of Health Redesigned. She's a health coach, a best-selling author, and more. And I gained so much value from that session and having her come on the podcast was a no-brainer. Shauna talks about the seven pillars of health and no lie, we like we don't have time to go through all of the pillars. We got through as much as we could and we discuss the four legs of the table, sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mental health. Our discussion on sleep was actually an eye-opener for me. And if you ever find that you have like a Monday to Friday sleep routine versus the weekend one, you gotta listen. Shauna's got some really solid advice on uh, why you should keep a consistent sleep schedule. We discuss your gut health, how to care for your gut beyond what you eat, and my hatred for fermented foods. You are never gonna see me drinking kombucha. Shauna also touches on how to advocate for your own health and how you can get in the driver's seat of your relationship with your health. I highly recommend that you uh, go online to take Shauna's health assessment. It's definitely an interesting one. I've linked to it in today's show notes at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash one two six. Now, the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. So this episode is brought to you in part by the Alberta Blue Cross Wellness Summit, which is a day to explore fresh perspectives and practices around wellness at work. It happens on October 10th up in Edmonton near the airport, and it's going to be a really great event. It's all about supporting the health and wellness of employees, which is becoming a major consideration for many workplaces, and Alberta Blue Cross wants to connect the dots of what it takes to create healthier workplaces with happy people. So there's a number of different speakers. I think I've spoken about a few of them in the past. One of them in particular, Drew Dudley, whose TED Talks, TEDx talk rather, on everyday leadership has been viewed millions of times. You might know it as the lollipop moments talk. He reminds us that we all have the power to improve each other's lives. So that is definitely a message I can get behind. Alberta Blue Cross has designed the summit so that you're not just sitting and listening, you'll have a chance to actively engage with the information, the speakers, and other attendees, and you're going to come away with practical tools and evidence-based resources you can use, whether you're a frontline worker or a C-suite executive. So again, the summit is at the Renaissance Edmonton Airport Hotel on October 10th, and you can learn more at thewellnesssummit.ca. Now, the Alberta Podcast Network is really happy to partner with Seat Giant to offer you a deal on tickets to major sporting events, big concerts, popular theater throughout North America, and more. Whether you're at home or on a vacation, check Seat Giant for tickets to the hottest events. They have everything from NHL playoffs, uh, sports, all, I mean, all things sports that I don't understand. Oprah Winfrey, Hamilton, you know I love Hamilton, Book of Mormon, and more. So visit seatgiant.ca to find tickets. 
Use the promo code APN at checkout to get 5% off your purchase. You'll save a bit and the network gets a little bit of a cut from that purchase too. All tickets are in Canadian dollars, even for events that are in the US, and SeatGiant is Canadian-owned and operated, and it guarantees every ticket. So help yourself to a great experience while helping the Alberta Podcast Network and a Canadian-owned business. Visit SeatGiant.ca and use the offer code APN. So without further ado, let's head into the interview with Shauna. Well, thank you so much, Shauna, for joining us on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here today, too. I say to have you here. I'm in your house. I'm in your (laughs) office right now. But, you know, I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm actually hoping you can maybe start with telling us a little bit about what you do, how you got into it, and yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, so I've kind of got two two reasons of why I, I do what I do. So um, I call myself a health guide, but essentially I do a whole bunch of different things related to health and wellness. So I do one-on-one health coaching, I do corporate wellness, um, lots of presentations, seminars, education, podcasts, I've written a book. Um, and so I'm basically just a huge advocate for being healthy and having a healthy lifestyle. And you know that as soon as you drive up to your house, because you have a veggie garden right in the front. So it's <laughs> like, she is walking the walk. Like, <laughs> and, I, and I do my best to because I feel like I really need to set an example for my clients. And if I'm going to ask you to do something, then I'd better be prepared to do that myself. Yeah. And and so I feel like if I'm going to ask you to eat healthier or exercise or do those things, you know, again, I, I need to be able to do do those things on my own. Yeah. So you have a business called Health Redesigned. Yes. And uh, I heard you speak at our ATBX, my ATBX cohort. Uh, you came and did a presentation on sort of like stress and, and all around holistic health and relating to your book, like you talk about the seven pillars of health. I'm hoping we can start with sort of health is such a big umbrella, right? Like it's such a big topic. What does healthy mean to you? Like if, if you're saying someone is healthy, What's the nutshell version of that or is there? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's definitely like the dictionary definitions of health. And so when you break it down, um, I kind of talk about that in the front of my book in terms of like what, what actually is healthy and what are the different types of healthy that we can be. And so what comes up super often is the absence of disease. But we know that health is so much more than just not being sick or not having a, a medical condition or this disease that's existing. So health is much more than that. It's this interrelationship between all of these different components components of health, the psychological, the emotional, the spiritual, those different types of components that interact and, and kind of ebb and flow over time. But then I, I take health to the next level and I really help people try to strive for optimal health. So we, we don't want to just be kind of surviving, just plodding along in life. We want to be able to take it to the next level. And, and I want you to feel your best. I want you to have the most energy that you can for the stage of life that you're in right now to, you know, to be free of aches and pains, to be vibrant and energetic and to be enthusiastic about life. And that's really what I think health is. Yeah. That's great. And I I find it can be something that is overwhelming for people. Like when they look at all the different things, all the different rules out there or the things that we should or shouldn't be doing or this like barrage of information that we get uh, in social media or just online in terms of and like never Google your illnesses. Just don't do that. (laughs) Dr. Google goes badly. (laughs) But in your book, uh, you have seven pillars of health. So I'm hoping that maybe we can sort of talk about 
what those pillars are. And I'll definitely will refer people to your website and I highly recommend people pick up the book. But and then maybe we can talk about like if people started with one thing from those areas, like one small change, like yeah. what would that be? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll go over the seven pillars really quickly. So that's sleep, nutrition, exercise, mental health, digestion, medical conditions, and lifestyle factors. And that sounds like a lot. And you think, okay, well, like, how am I going to manage all of these things? So I really like to talk about it in the idea of this table analogy. So think about a table typically to have like the most stable table that you're going to have. You're going to have four legs on that table. So that's your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise, and your mental health. Those are the foundational four for health for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, those are really, really important. Your digestion is the tabletop that ties all of those together. And then it's your medical conditions and your lifestyle factors that are going to sit on top of your table that may topple it one way or the other way. And so when we think about how all of those interact together, we know that, you know, in theory, all of those should all be balanced. And I hate that word balance. It's more about the mix of how they interact together. Um, But that it's not this perfection that we have to have our sleep just right and our nutrition just right and our exercise just so. Is that we want to make sure that when we're looking at our lifestyle, you know, that we're considering all the other things that are going on. So for example, you're a new mom. If I were to come and tell you to say, hey, I want you to sleep for eight hours every single night, you know, sleep through the night, that's (laughs) going to create more stress than anything. And now all automatically I've set you up for failure. Yeah. And and so it's considering that, okay, so you're a new mom, we're going to acknowledge that your pillar of sleep, so that table leg of sleep has been either sawed off a little bit. (laughs) So it's maybe a little wobbly or perhaps it's like completely cut off. That that (laughs) leg is decimated. Like you just, you're not sleeping optimally. And so then we just say, okay, we acknowledge that yes, okay, maybe in a perfect world, we have eight hours of sleep, but it's not a perfect world. And so then we work around it. And so then we say, okay, then that means that you need to look at your other foundational three pillars and make sure that you're addressing those, that you're doing things to help your mental health, that you're doing things for your exercise and you're doing things for your nutrition to help balance out that offset that we know that sleep leg is gone for at least a couple of years, (laughs) if not more, depending on, I'm not sure if you're having any more babies or- No, the baby's fine. <laughs> it's the toddler who's like, mommy, fix my blanket. Middle of the night. Yeah. 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 And it, it takes a while for those stages to move through. And so, you know, it's just acknowledging that, okay, until they're they're really like, you know, three to five, depending yeah. on the child, that, that you're not going to get that complete sleep. And, yeah. and so, you know, it's looking at how do all those factors relate. Yeah. Um, so to go through them a little more specifically, like sleep, I would say, is probably the most important pillar for most people to focus on. I know you've touched on it in other podcasts podcast that you've had before with guests. Uh, But sleep is such an overlooked pillar that, you know, most people kind of say like, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead or, you know, like I I don't need to sleep. You know, I I function just fine on four hours sleep or six hours sleep. And the problem with being sleep deprived is we actually don't know that we're sleep deprived. Yeah. Is that our brain is really good at compensating for those imbalances for the things that aren't happening during that sleep process. And so we're literally impaired. And so it's like, you know, you've had a couple drinks of alcohol and you're like, oh, I'm fine to drive. And it's like yeah. that that judgment, that impairment is there that we don't necessarily realize that we've got an impairment. Yeah. You know, so for sleep, it's really about looking at how do you be consistent within the parameters that you've got, you know, so can you have a consistent sleep, sleep time that you go to bed? Can you have a consistent time that you wake up within 
the, the realms that you've yeah. got. Um, and then really thinking about that wind down time before you go to bed. So slowing down, not expecting to go through your day that's the hustle of the bustle and I got to fold laundry and I got to do my job and do this and like all the things on our to-do list and then crawl into bed and expect to fall asleep. Yeah. Your brain literally needs some time to download at the end of the day to just decompress and to slow down. Yeah. There was a, you had talked at our, our session about how like why consistency in the timing is important. Like so a lot of people that I talk to like Monday to Friday, they go to sleep at X time and they wake up at X time. Saturday, Sunday, totally different schedule. Can you tell us why that's a problem? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love talking about that because essentially what you're doing is you're changing time zones every single week. So imagine if, you know, we're recording this in Calgary, imagine that you're constantly changing from Calgary to Toronto time. And so on weekends, you're on Toronto time. And then during the week, you're on Calgary time. And if we look at it from that perspective and we say, okay, if if every single week I flew to Toronto and then I changed my time zone to Toronto time, intuitively, we can say, well, no wonder I'm tired on Monday because I've now shifted my circadian rhythm a couple of hours in, in either direction. So my body doesn't know what time it is. And that's exactly what we're doing when we sleep in on weekends is that we really, we mess up our circadian rhythm. We stay up late on Friday night. We sleep in Saturday morning. We stay up later Saturday night. We sleep in Sunday. And then we wonder why we can't fall asleep Sunday night. And we think it's this anxiety over going to work when really what we've done is we've just shifted our sleep schedule. And there may be a little bit of apprehension about going to work, but oftentimes it's that your brain and your body physically are not tired, that your melatonin hasn't peaked or started to peak yet. And so you don't have that same, we call it sleep drive, that push to say, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I need to go to sleep now. Mm-hmm. And so that sleep drive is is a couple hours later, which is why we go to bed at our normal you know, weekday time. Yeah. And then we toss and turn for a couple of hours because your brain really isn't ready to go to sleep until a couple hours later. That makes so much sense that people tie it to anxiety, but in fact, it could actually be that. That's really interesting. Now, I'm lucky in some ways that I have a uh, built-in alarm clock with my kids. So there is <laughs> consistency no matter what. 5 a.m.? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not in the going to bedtime, but by 6 o'clock for sure, they're up, even on the weekends. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which which really, for consistency's sake and, and for yeah. that sleep patterning, is probably the best thing that you can do. And you're going to argue with me and say, but I need that sleep. Yeah. And, and what you'll find is if you do this consistently for a couple of weeks, then you're going to notice a huge difference come Sunday night and come Monday morning when, when you're going back to work and, and you'll actually feel less fatigued. Well, and so if people need that sleep, go to bed earlier. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And and really, we want to try to keep sleep within an hour in either direction. Yeah. So, you know, if say it's Friday night or Saturday night, like by no means am I saying I am perfect with my yeah. sleep either, but I recognize the value of it. And occasionally I do stay up a little bit later on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Um, but it's, you know, for me, because I'm still working in the hospital, those those nights can sometimes shift, um, you know, but it's really about maintaining that my goal is to get that seven to eight hour sleep every single night, regardless of, you know, where I am or, or what's happening, whether I'm traveling or, yeah. or things and, and life happens. And then you just don't get too fussed over it, but you just don't make that your regular pattern. How do you feel about naps? 
So naps can be really beneficial, but they can also be counterproductive. <laughs> so it depends on why you're napping. And so if you're the kind of person that wakes up through the night, naps are not a good thing because uh, we touched on that idea of sleep drive. So that's the pressure that your brain puts on your body. So what you think of when you're really, really tired, your eyelids start getting droopy, your body feels heavy, that like that feeling of just before you go to sleep where you're so exhausted that you physically can't stay awake. So that pressure, the more that pressure um, builds up, the easier it is to fall asleep. So what'll happen is if you're the kind of person that's waking up at nighttime or, you know, you've got a hard time staying, maybe you wake up, say, really early, four o'clock or five o'clock, your, your body's getting enough rest. And so if you take a nap in the afternoon, what you're doing is you're taking that pressure off. So then you're not going to have an effective right. sleep. Okay. Um, but for someone, say, like you, that you know that you're not going to be sleeping through the <laughs> night because of X factors. So, yeah. I mean, kids are usually that, that biggest factor, but yeah. you know, sometimes it's, you've got a new puppy or, you know, you've got a family member who needs to be woken up every couple of hours for medications or, mm -hmm. or things like that. There's lots of different scenarios. Then, then perhaps at that time, a nap is a really good thing. Uh, if you're sick, if you're recovering from an, an injury or you've had surgery, then napping is really great because your body needs that extra sleep time to heal and to recover. Um, so it's just kind of recognizing that there's, there's value in naps. And I think they can be really, really beneficial official. Um, you can also properly time them so they don't have a huge impact on your sleep by sleep, by having that nap earlier in the day. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. Because my daughter, for example, you know, she's 12 months old. <laughs> we wake her, you know, she gets up at 630. She has her first nap at nine. Yep. That's and then she'll last for hours. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, versus, so be like a baby. Yeah, be be more like a baby. <laughs> but versus like you've maybe worked a full work day and now you come home at you know four o'clock or five o'clock and you have a nap when you get home. Well, no wonder you can't fall asleep until eleven o'clock, midnight, mm -hmm. one a.m. because now you've taken that pressure off. So a better way would be to take a longer lunch break take a short nap on your lunch break, even just a 20 minute nap is going to take a huge amount of that pressure off. Yeah. So you don't feel so fatigued in the afternoon. Meditation is another really great thing that you can do during that time. Um, and just like take, take that pressure off so that when you come home, you're not so exhausted. Yeah. And then you've got a little bit more energy to kind of push through the night, but then you can go to bed at more of your normal sleep time. Okay. Okay. So that's sleep. What's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could talk about sleep. I know. All. I yeah. could talk about all of these pillars all day. Yeah. Really. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the next one is nutrition. And that's the foundation for your body in terms of whatever you're putting in is what you're you're fueling your body. Mm -hmm. And so we want to think about what are what are the foods that you're putting in to fuel yourself for the things that you want to do best. So a lot of people just think, well, this is how I've eaten my whole life. And your nutrition needs to change over time and it needs to change based on what you know, what your goals are and then what stage of life you're in. So if you're a teenager, you're going to need a lot more food than you are maybe in your 40s. And so it's realizing that those diet patterns and, and habits that we have change as we change. Mm -hmm. And and again, what you're eating in your 40s is not what you're going to need to eat in your 60s or your 80s. And so we almost could break it down into, you know, every five years or every 10 years and sort of look at as your body changes over time, what do we need to do to support that? And then what does your physical activity look like in terms of are you training for a big event? Are you, say, a triathlete? Or you want to train for a marathon? Or are you just training for life? And, you know, you're doing... Training for life. Training <laughs> like, for life. Yeah, you yeah. know, you're doing yoga, Pilates, you know, those yeah. types of activities. And so it's thinking about what are, what are you putting the energy in for? If you're a desk jockey and you have an office job and you just literally sit at your desk all day, 
you don't need a ton of carbohydrates. You don't need a ton of extra energy to sit in your body because it's not going to do anything. It's just going to be stored. And so with nutrition, my big thing is really talking about how do we balance your blood sugar Mm. and how do we combine proteins or fats with carbohydrates to help prevent those giant sugar curves that go up and down that make you exhausted just after lunchtime. You know, you get the high and then you crash down and you ride that roller coaster all day long. And caffeine does the same thing, it sure doesn't it? Does. As I drink my americano, <laughs> and and caffeine is fine in moderation. But what happens is I see so many clients that start with a cup of coffee first thing in the morning, and then it's it's oftentimes not just the coffee; it's what's in the coffee. So is it the cream? Is it the sugar? It's all the extra yeah. things that we put into it, and we can drink a coffee really easily versus eating those calories. We're, yeah. we're going to feel a lot more full if we physically eat that same amount of calories. Yeah. And so then it's thinking about if you're having this double-double first thing in the morning, yeah. that's a huge amount of sugar. So that cream and that sugar just turns straight into sugar. And then we've got a caffeine hit, which indirectly is going to impact your blood sugar yeah. as well. And so now you've started your day with this sugar buzz, and then that's what propels that yeah. roller coaster. So if we were to change that and to start your day with some protein as the first thing that goes into your body. So people think, well, what's protein for breakfast? And so we can think about out of the box examples. So if we look at other countries like Norway, they're going to eat things like fish for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, So we get stuck in the egg box of, you know, eggs are are the only protein. But you can look at what, you know, what kind of fish might you like? Perhaps it's salmon. And some people love sardines and anchovies. Other people can't even stomach them. Like it's not, it's an off the table, not even an option. Um, I often say, what did you have for dinner? And so thinking about what are the leftovers of the leftover chicken or the leftover steak or the leftover, you know, whatever you had with dinner time that may be an okay protein to have at breakfast time it's interesting you say think of other countries because when my husband and I were backpacking Southeast Asia like everyone was having these like broth soups for breakfast right with like possibly some meat in it but like I just think of how much protein and goodness was in the broth itself like Mm Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's warm and it's nourishing. Yeah. Or, you know, I've, I've traveled a fair bit as well. And so in France, oftentimes they'll serve salad with breakfast. Yeah. And so we joked and we started calling it breakfast salad, but it essentially was just a salad. It was a, a green salad with a light vinaigrette on it. And I really started to like having salad for breakfast. Yeah. And it's just so refreshing. It's light. And, yeah. you know, I find it doesn't give me that same up and down crash as it would if I had, say, a fruit bowl. Yeah. Um, so it's really thinking about out of the box ideas that we get stuck in that it's got to be cereal or toast or pancakes or waffles. And there's so many more options to food that it doesn't just have to be a breakfast food or a lunch food or a dinner food. It's actually just food. And so it's just making different choices at different times of the day. Is there a problem with, for some meals, you get into a habit of eating the same thing every time? Like, I know what they say with exercise. Like, if you do the same thing, your body kind of just doesn't react, start to react the same way. Is it the same with food? Because like I have the same breakfast pretty much every day and I love it and it keeps me going for hours. Yeah. Like, so so the only, there isn't um, an adaptation in the same sense of exercise and that, you know, your body now needs more breakfast or more breakfast. Yeah. Um, but what happens is that if we eat the same and, and really we tend to eat the same 
you know, typical breakfast, typical lunches, typical dinners. And so I think it's something like 10, 10 average lunches, 10 average dinners. So when we look at that on a bigger scale, where's the variety in that? Right. And so the, the potential for a nutrient deficiency exists if we have the same foods all the time. Yeah. So let's say, you know, you've got your basic lunch, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and, and maybe within that you don't eat a lot of citrus fruits or, right. you know, you don't, maybe you're lacking on vitamin C or maybe you're, you know, you're not getting a lot of fish oils in the stuff that you're eating or, you know, there's just potential to miss out on those uh, nutrients yeah. or, or food groups. If you're consistently like, this is the only thing I eat for breakfast. Yeah. Or, this is the only thing I eat for lunch. Um, and then the other potential is to build up uh, a sensitivity to a food. So not quite to the point of allergy, but if you're having the same food every single day. So we've seen this huge surge of gluten yeah. uh, allergies and I'll, I'll quote the allergy and, you know, in the brackets of like, yeah. it's not always an allergy. Oftentimes it's an inset or a sensitivity to yeah. it because we've been exposed to it in everything. Mm-hmm. And so I give this analogy of like, if I were to put strawberries in every single thing, and I love strawberries, so strawberry producers, please don't come after me. <laughs> yeah. But if we were to put strawberries in everything, the way that gluten is in everything. Mm-hmm. So you've got strawberries in your soup, you've got strawberries in your coffee, you've got strawberries in your, you know, put it in every single product. I think we'd actually see a huge surge in strawberry intolerances and allergies coming up you know, a couple years after that, yeah. because your body just isn't meant to have consistently one food every day, every meal, all the time. Yeah. And so it's just the the, uh, the need to essentially alter what we're eating. Yeah. Okay. So I find nutrition is the thing that most people str- struggle with, mainly from a mental standpoint, right? Like yes. I can't live without my sugar. I can't live without my coffee. I can't live with- <laughs> As she stares at her coffee. <laughs> it's black, I swear. <laughs> but like, we have these hangups of it's almost like food are part of our identity. How do you help people sort of meander that path? Yeah. So, so like you said, I actually find that more of my nutrition coaching is around mental yeah. uh, components of that. So I have three really great questions that I get people to ask themselves around food. So the first question is, why are you eating this? So are you hungry? Is it time to eat? And sometimes it's, you know, it's noon. So this is the only time I've got to eat lunch. So I have to eat it now. Yeah. Sometimes we eat because we're bored. Sometimes we eat because we're sad. Sometimes we eat because we're happy and we want to celebrate. You know, I got a promotion. I got a new job. And so we connect food to all of these emotional reasons. Yeah. The only reason that you actually need to eat is to satiate, to satiate your body and yeah. to provide it with nutrients. But that is really like the last reason why we actually eat. And, and so it's thinking about just being cognizant of why are you eating and and there's lots of reasons for that yeah. and, and it's just having that in the back of your head and it's not a judgment around it but no it's just judgment. like getting curious and yes. understand it okay yeah and so not the like why why are you doing that yeah. but the the curious like okay tell me more I, I I'm curious what is you know what is the reason behind eating and, and like you said no judgment yeah. this is just like hmm I'm observing why might you be eating right yeah. now the second question is how does eating that food make you feel so being in tune with what that's physically doing to your body on a couple different levels. So one, emotionally, you know, is it helping you to feel, so the cup of coffee you have in the morning, like, do you drink it and you're savoring exactly that <laughs> moment, you're savoring it, it just goes in and like, it just, it puts you in a good mood or do you have it? And then an hour later, you're jittery and you're agitated and yeah. you're moody and you don't really know why. 
Or, you know, when you have a, a food, does it boost up your energy? Does it decrease your energy? Do you feel bloated? Do you feel sluggish? Like mm-hmm. really paying attention to those different things that happen in your body and maybe not even right now, but what happens in yeah. an hour or in a couple of hours after having that. Yeah, I was going to say so, so many times it feels good in the moment. Yes. And then like I know myself, like if I have too much dairy not feeling great a little <laughs> bit later, just not happy with life. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes on a really hot summer day when you're out with the family yeah. and you want to have an ice cream, then maybe that's worth it. Yeah. And so it's thinking about, you know, yeah, how does it make you feel? Yeah. And, and is it actually worth how you feel? And then the last question is, is this in line with my goals? And this one is a more of a judgment question. This is more of a yes or no. Yeah. So is eating this in line with whatever my health and fitness and wellness goals are? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. But this whole scenario doesn't have to be perfect all the time. So let's pretend that tomorrow's my birthday and I want to have birthday cake. So why am I eating this? Well, because it's my birthday and I want to have birthday cake. How's it going to make me feel? Well, it might make me feel really good because it's my favorite cake and I only eat it once a year and I love it. And, you know, I'm here with all my friends and family and it's excited. Or or maybe I eat it and then after I'm like, ugh, I feel bloated because I yeah. ate too much and I overindulged on my birthday party. And, you know, maybe it was a combination of all the things that yeah. I had, you know. So so is that worth it? Is, you know, do, was that, you know, beneficial to have that cake? Maybe, maybe not. And then is that in line with my goals? Well, depends on what my goals are. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm trying to try train for a long distance hike. I'm trying to stay really lean. So is that in line? Probably not. But then does it have to be perfect all the time? Absolutely not. And so it's thinking about your birthdays once a year, exactly. (laughs) But when we think about, okay, it's Christmas and then it's Valentine's Day and then it's Easter and it's Thanksgiving and it's summer and it's, we can make up a lot of excuses of, well, this, you know, Christmas only happens once a year, but Christmas turns into the month of December. And so then, you know, how often are you in line with your goals and how often are you out? out of line with your goals. Yeah. And so it's really just being consistent of if most of the time you're in line with your goals, you're actually going to fare pretty good. Yeah. And, and the, the odd time that you want to have that treat, it's fine. You know, and it's enjoying it, it's savoring it, it's appreciating it rather yeah. than just inhaling it. And so, yeah. it's, and it's just getting in tune with what does that make you feel? And really, I would eat brownies for breakfast every single day. <laughs> I love them. They're delicious, but I would crash and I, I feel like garbage after I have a brownie because it's this sugar high and a sugar crash. Yeah. And so, so I don't because it's not in line with my goals to set an example, to be lean, to be healthy and to feel good. Yeah. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break because if you've been listening this far, then I can only imagine that you are passionate about your health, your mental well-being, about taking care of yourself. And that is exactly why I designed Stressless at Work, the toolkit. Stressless at Work is all about helping you stress less in the workplace. Over 70% or about 70% of North Americans, so Canadians definitely included in that, are stressed at work, whether somewhat or chronically or wherever in that spectrum. Work can be stressful, whether it's physically from sitting at a desk all day, interpersonal relationships with coworkers, managers, all that kind of stuff, or just the overwhelming workload. It can be a lot. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I am well-versed in burning out in the corporate world, which is why I'm so passionate about Stressless at Work, the toolkit. We go through all of the topics that I've just talked about, and I even bring on some amazing guest speakers, uh, or guest presenters rather, to share their information on ergonomics and compassion fatigue and all the things. 
because the workplace can be such a stressful environment and because so many of us are on a budget these days, I wanted to make Stressless at Work affordable for everyone, for absolutely everyone. So it is a $20 course with hundreds of dollars of value in it. It really is designed for everyone because you spend the majority of your life at work, right? You spend 40 hours a week there. I don't want that 40 hours a week to be miserable. So I'm not going to take away all the stress, but I'm going to give you the tools, strategies, and mindset to make your working life significantly less stressful. So you can find a link for it in today's show notes, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can also find a link for it at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash 126. Okay, back into the interview with Shauna. Okay, I'm conscious that like, there's no way we're going to get through all seven. But um, <laughs> I do want to talk about digestion yes. and the gut because I've been hearing so much about the gut of late. And I think I, like other people, confuse digestion with, well, isn't that nutrition? Yeah. Like, tell us why and why not. <laughs> <laughs> so there definitely is overlap. So digestion yeah. ties into what's going in. So digestion really falls into four core parts. So the first one is the ingestion, what's going in the pipe, uh, and that's tied to nutrition. So that yeah. has to do with what, what are the specific foods that are going in. Then you have to digest your food, so break it down. Then you have to absorb the food, and then you have to uh, basically remove the food. And so it's those four processes. The, the out <laughs> Remove part, the food. Remove the food. Yeah, like... are, are we allowed to talk about poop on your podcast? Everybody poops. <laughs> yeah. Everyone poops. We're not all comfortable talking about it. But as a nurse, I talk about it all the time. And it's, yeah. a, it's actually really important. And it actually really matters what, what it looks like and yeah. all of those parts. But within those four components of digestion, if you're not doing all four parts of that well, you're not digesting properly. Yeah. And so it's this huge misnomer of thinking, well, it's more just about what's coming out the bottom end versus what's going in the top end. Yeah. And it's all connected. So it's not just this isolated, this one part matters and this one part doesn't. It's a process. And if you're not doing all four well, then you're not getting the full benefit from yeah. those foods. So it actually doesn't matter how good of food that you're putting in. If you're not breaking it down and digesting it properly, you're not getting the benefit from it. Yeah. So if you're putting in like all these salads and smoothies and green juices and delicious stuff, but you know, your body just doesn't tolerate that well and it's barreling out the other end, you're still not absorbing all the benefit from it. So then we have to look at tweaking and doing things to help, I would say like the word processing, but like cutting your food smaller or cooking it in a soup or a stew to make mm -hmm. it more digestible to help improve that digestive process down the road. Yeah. That's interesting because I know so many people like are, we just inhale our food these yeah. days. And I know for myself, like I, if, if I'm at a meal with both of my kids, I am much more aware of like, are they eating? Are they like, and you all of a sudden look down and you're like, oh, I guess I ate my dinner. But so I, I recognize that that is a stage and so I try and be really conscious the other two meals to like slow down and chew you know I can't do everything perfectly no <laughs> no way, and yeah. that, none of us can and it's yeah. it's realizing like wow I just ate that meal and I didn't chew it yeah so even just having that awareness after the fact yeah. is really valuable because then you can say okay what am I going to learn from this and you just said that so now I'm going to acknowledge to say I'm going to be more conscious in my other two meals yeah is that we, we most of us really don't chew our food properly we chew it once or twice we swallow it and it turns into a vacuum and we literally inhale our food we don't actually chew yeah. it 
And most people don't realize that chewing your food is actually the first process of digestion. Mixing it with your saliva is part of breaking down specifically carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the first part to get your food digested. You know, so if you're having a food that you just chew once or twice and it goes down, you're skipping that essential step to make it easier to digest and easier to absorb down the line. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. In terms of digestion and what goes in, it's a lot of fermented foods, right? For those of us that hate fermented foods, what do you suggest? (laughs) I hate sauerkraut. I hate... I hate those things. Yeah. Kombucha. Blah. Like. <laughs> and it, it really depends on where you're getting those things from in the first place. Right. So we, yes, fermented foods are good. But what happens a lot of times in the grocery store is you get those fermented foods after they've been pasteurized. So what that means right. is they've been heat flashed to get rid of bacteria that are harmful, but Which that also gets rid of bacteria that are beneficial. Right. So not saying that pasteurizing is completely evil. There's definitely benefits to it. But being aware that if you're having a sauerkraut or a kombucha that's commercially produced, you're probably actually not even getting a fraction of the beneficial bacteria that you think you are. Right. And so this health food is actually no longer a health food. Most kombuchas have a significant amount of sugar in them and very little beneficial bacteria. Because they need to make it not taste gross. I know, exactly. <laughs> so you exactly. need the ones that say like active bacteria culture? Yes, or and then being that... aware whether it says pasteurized or pasteurized not. Pasteurized or not, yeah. And, and so it's trying to get ones that are not pasteurized, which okay. can be a challenge to find. Um, but for people that don't want to have those foods because you think they're disgusting or they don't appeal to your palate or they don't sit well in your yeah. stomach or whatever it is, uh, foods like garlic, leek, and onions are really good okay. We call them prebiotics, so not not probiotics. These are foods that are actually, you chew them well, you get them into your gut. And so your gut has, I, I don't even know the exact word for it. It's like a gazillion, uh, but it's like 10 to the power of 14. So 10 with 14 zeros behind it, whatever, whatever that mm-hmm. number works out to, that many bacteria in your gut. So when you're feeding those bacteria good foods like the garlic, leek, and onions, and really healthy, fibrous foods... That's going to help nourish those bacteria, make them really healthy. And then on the back end, those guys are going to produce the more healthy bacteria, which is ultimately what you want. Yeah. So think of it instead of feeding your body, you're feeding all of the bacteria in your body. And the healthier your bacteria are, the healthier your body is going to be. And because the gut affects everything, right? Like it affects your brain. It affects your like everything. Yeah. So your gut is actually now being termed as the second brain. It's this new, like there's so much gut research. And so even in the time between when I wrote my book to now, there has been so many changes in knowledge on on gut health. But I mean, your gut is producing a ton of different things. So we're producing serotonin, we're producing B12, uh, not B12, sorry, um, B, B7, B1, vitamin K, you're producing fatty acids, um, tryptophan, tyrosine. So it's producing all of these really good things. But if your body isn't healthy, and you, that gut bacteria aren't happy, they're not actually doing those things. So a lot of uh, mood-related conditions, so depression, anxiety, are actually tied to a decrease in healthy bacteria in the gut because you're not producing enough of the feel-good hormones that are going to yeah. help keep your brain mentally balanced. So 70% of serotonin is actually produced in the gut, whereas we would think it'd be the opposite way around, that serotonin is mostly used in the brain, so that's where it would be produced, but it's, it's actually not. And as we learn more about gut health, 
health, we're learning that more and more things are actually produced in the gut. And I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that the gut is responsible for pretty much every process in the body. Yeah. So think about, you know, if you're going from this transition of like an average so-so diet and overnight you change to a really healthy diet, those bacteria are not going to be happy. So yeah. think about yourself. If like, if you're used to eating chocolate cake and candy, and then I take that all away and I make you eat green spinach, you know, and that's the only other thing you can have, you're going to like, you're just not going to be satisfied with that. Your bacteria are the same way. So if you expect to change your diet overnight, those guys are going to rebel and they're going to give you gas and bloating and make you feel cranky and moody and make you crave sugar. Cause they're like, Hey guys, I'm used to having sugar for fuel here. Give yeah. me more sugar. And you've cut off their fuel source. It's going to take a while for those bacteria to die off for your taste buds to change, for your palate to appreciate tart and bitter foods mm-hmm. compared to the sweet foods you're used to having. And so that whole process just takes time. Okay. Interesting. So many things we could talk about. Um, <laughs> here's my little gripe. <laughs> I feel like, and maybe this is just my experience with doctors, that they're not traditional doctors maybe over a certain age don't seem as on board the nutrition train for solving other issues beyond weight loss like I remember going to my doctor with um you know struggling with anxiety and depression and stuff like that and I was really hesitant to take a pill for it I ended up doing that because postpartum depression is no joke uh but I remember saying to him, like, is there anything nutritionally I can be doing different that would, like, support, like, decreased anxiety? And it was just like, no. Yeah. And it's not just, like, I've talked to other people. That's not just my experience with doctors. Like, do we even care to change that? Do we just, where do we go for our help if it's not these people that we sort of put on a pedestal as our... Yeah. So I'm, I know you're a nurse. I'm sorry. Exactly. So I'm going to tread very carefully on this. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually pro healthcare system. Yeah. And so, so to, you know, be, be aware that I'm not trying to shut down our healthcare system. If you look at the way that doctors and nurses are traditionally trained. So I went to school, I graduated 2011. So fairly recently in the large scheme of things, um, I had one hour of nutrition training in my nursing. And, and I'm not Woof. quite sure. Yeah. So, so if you expect someone with one hour of nutrition training to be able to handle all of your questions, all of your concerns, nutrition knowledge has changed dramatically even since I've graduated. And then you think of, okay, so your doctor who's been practicing for 20, 30 years, how much nutrition training did they get? And I suspect it's about on par. So I believe, you know, it's about an hour, maybe generously. If I, you know, if it's a really progressive school, maybe a couple of hours. And so it's no fault of their own in yeah. terms of when you're asking them these really hard questions and, and really specific questions sometimes of how much B12 should I take or is yeah. vitamin D good or, how, you know, how much of this should I take? It's not that they don't value it. Oftentimes it's that they really weren't educated on that. Right. And so that's part of the whole process is that we, we need better education for our healthcare providers in terms of, you know, what's what's actually being taught to them from that preventive proactive standpoint. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is that 
curriculums are starting to change a little bit, but I think now they're maybe getting five hours or 10 hours of training depending on the institution, yeah. which which is still like, it's definitely better than one hour, but it's still far from what we, we could be teaching them yeah. in terms of that bigger picture in terms of, you know, they could be getting nutrition training, they could be getting exercise yeah. training, more, you know, more teaching about sleep, but they're really looking at that bigger picture yeah. in terms of what does a doctor need to know and yeah. and really a doctor actually doesn't need to know those things they need to have a team that can support them yeah. to know those things so we know that collaborative practices do really well yeah. practices that have a nurse and have a dietitian and have a kinesiologist and have a physiotherapist in the clinic yeah. those patients actually do really well and those teams can operate very fun- uh, effectively and functionally and so it's more a matter of trying to work with practitioners yeah. that have that more holistic approach in terms of working with all of the different modalities so that the people that are really good, like the dietitians that understand all the interactions of food can do what they do best, you know, and the doctor can do what they do best. Okay. Okay. I also am curious, um, are there any specific tests that you encourage people to go out and get? Like, I mean, like, how do you know if you're deficient on a certain vitamin? Like, should you actually go and get a screening for these things? I don't typically advocate for regular screenings for nutrients because I think at times it can create a whole other host of almost more the mental like, oh my God, I'm deficient in this and and creating stress and anxiety around nutrition that doesn't need to be there. So if you're altering your foods, you're changing through the seasons, um, you're changing up what your breakfasts are occasionally, you're getting different dinners and lunches and like ultimately varying those foods throughout the year, perhaps, you know, taking some, you know, general supplements, perhaps like a multivitamin Mm -hmm. or a fish oil, a vitamin D, like those are pretty standard things that most doctors are on board with. Um, Those types of things can really help to round out the, um, the spots in your diet that might be lacking or, or people might say, you know, depending on where your food comes from, the nutrients that may be lacking from how it's grown. Um, So that's a really great way to help try to cut down on those nutrient deficiencies. For regular screenings, I recommend doing what's based on your age. So most doctors have a protocol based on, you know, when you hit this age, we start screening for these certain things. Uh, I think it's important for most people, even of any age, to get your blood pressure checked at least once a year, Mm -hmm. whether that be at a pharmacy, whether that be with your medical doctor. I think it's great to keep tabs on your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we could actually start screening at a much earlier age because diabetes is increasing so much. And really, there's so many things we can do to help prevent it. Um, So I think, you know, like I said, blood pressure, blood sugar, keeping an eye on your height and your weight and just making sure that you're staying sort of in that zone of what your, you know, optimal body is, that you're not consistently every single year gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. Um, And that tends to happen is we just gain just, you know, two to five pounds every year, but then over the course of a lifetime, 20 pounds in a decade, right? It's 50 pounds and it, it sneaks up on us because it's just a couple pounds a year. And so realizing that if you try to keep your weight in a smaller range and when it starts to creep up on the higher end, you do things to help rein that in, you're going to be much healthier in the long run than this yo-yo diet or just continually gaining weight through your whole lifetime. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So the thing I want to move into before we do our final five questions is I'm curious uh, if you can tell us a little bit about like what does health coaching with you look like? You've got some great online programs. Tell us a little bit about that before we do our final five. Yeah. So I've got a couple different options. Um, health coaching is is similar to any other coaching um 
option really is that I, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. I typically do over Skype or over the phone so that we don't have to even be in the same city. Uh, or if we're in the same city, you're not spending your time driving across town and having to find parking and, and all those sorts of things. Uh, it just makes it much more effective for your time. Uh, and then what we do is we do a thorough health assessment. We look at all of those seven pillars of health and we find out which ones are most out of balance, tackle the ones that are out of balance the most first, and that's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. And then really work on the areas that are important to you to improve, even though it may not be the lowest, there might be one area that's just always been bugging you. And so you, you, you know, always want to work on this one section. And so we just really try to help round you out as a person. And it's a collaborative process. I work back and forth with clients. Um, and so it's a combination of me teaching you as well as me motivating you and getting you to really do some of that internal work to think about what are the reasons for you, you know, having this habit or doing things this certain way and, and pulling out more of that mental side so that you, you do the work so you get the benefit. Yeah. Um, and, and my ideal is ultimately that I, I teach myself out of, out of a job yeah. so that I give you enough skills that you say, okay, I think I can handle this now. And, and then you're good to go instead of me giving you a meal plan or an exercise yeah. plan. It's teaching you how to do it. Yeah. And do you... um. Do you have that quiz that you gave us online? I do. It's a free download on, on my uh, main page. So healthredesign.com. Okay. If you scroll to the bottom, there's a health assessment and you can go through and really figure out what do your seven pillars of health look like and what is the shape of your health? Yeah. And what I love about the way it's designed is that it's, it's a big circle. And then you connect the dots and you actually get to see the shape of your health. And, and it's this visual to say, I mean, in a perfect world, we'd all be tens in every single area and it'd be this perfect circle, but it's not. And, and oftentimes that shape is a little more ugly than what you think it yeah. should be. And then you go, wow, I didn't realize all these other areas are impacting my health. And maybe that's why I'm not able to do my best at my job or to give the most to my family or to feel my best, you know, when I'm trying to take care of myself. Yeah. When I looked at the shape, the thing that came to my mind was like, would it roll? Like, was it kind of even yeah. enough in all areas that it would roll? Or was it like way off in some that it would just kind of like hit a pothole kind of <laughs> thing? So I was like, because like just looking at a shape, I was like, eh, I don't know. But like that really made sense for me. Yeah, yeah that's a great analogy yeah. is, yeah, if we turn this into a wheel, what's what's that going to do? Yeah. Okay. Well, everyone should go and check it out because it was definitely eye-opening for myself and many others that were in the room at the time. And uh, your online courses? Yes. So I've got two online courses. Uh, the first one is more of a basic course. It's going to give you the essentials. So for people that are just starting out, they just want to get their feet wet. They don't really know a lot about health or wellness. And so it's just more about um, trying out those essentials of sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mental health. Um, and that course is called Your Lifestyle Foundations Course. The other course that I've got is the Your Lifestyle Redesign program, and that focuses on all seven pillars. It focuses on all the details. It gives you a step-by-step -step blueprint that you can apply to your life regardless of what habits you've got, regardless of what type of exercise you want to do, what type of diet you want to eat, and it applies to everyone, and it really just helps to round you out and empower you to, to take charge of your health. And are those people ones people can sign up for at any point, or are there certain... Yeah, anyone yep. can sign up at any point. It's an open entry right now. And so if you want to start today and you're motivated, then jump on in. Yep. Uh, if you want to start in a month when your work schedule dies down, it, I mean, you can start essentially whenever you want. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll link to all of those in the show notes for today. Excellent. So conscious of time. So we'll move into the final five questions. So this can be personal, professional, anything. 
what are the things or the projects that get you like really fired up in a good way? Yeah, you could probably tell by by listening yeah. to me on this. It's like <laughs> I love helping people feel their best. I love making changes in the healthcare system and just really bringing forward evidence based information. There's so many fads and diets and trends and like gimmicky stuff out there that is not helping people. And I'm super passionate about bringing real information, looking at the big picture, and giving res- uh, giving information that's going to produce results that are going to last instead of just these fad yo-yo programs. Yeah. Awesome. And anything personally that you just Uh, love in life? Yeah, personally, I mean, I love hiking. Yeah. Um, I love being active. And so I've really gotten involved in my community, helping to uh, work on the infrastructure for bike pathways uh, to help my commute to to the hospital, but also just to make our community more uh, pedestrian friendly, more cycling friendly. Um, I love traveling. I love wine. And I love peaty scotch. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What is this long distance hike you're doing? So it's called the Great Divide Trail. And it's essentially a hike that goes from the southern Alberta border. Uh, It actually starts in Waterton. Oh, cool. uh, Crosses through Waterton, goes up through Alberta, almost to the top of Alberta. Wow. Uh, So we're doing it in sections uh, because it ultimately would take a couple of months to do that. And at this point, to take three months off and to go go do this massive hike, I would love to do that. Yeah. Uh, But the bank account and the employers would not love that so much. Totally get it. So we're doing a section of that. Yeah, that's awesome. So I assume as a writer that you're also a reader. What was sort of the most inspiring book that you read in the past couple of years or a couple of books? (laughs) I mean, I I mostly read to learn for what I do. And so a lot of what I read is psychology, it's nutrition, it's exercise. And so I'm sure most people probably actually are not going to be interested in that stuff. Um, So I was trying to rack my brain and I just read a really great book. It's called Rage Becomes Her. And have you read it? I I think I've heard about it on a podcast. Yeah. Continue. And, and <laughs> I just read it on vacation. And so, yes, of course, on vacation, you're supposed to read mindless, brainless stuff. Um, but for me, that's a little bit lower key. But it was so interesting to learn more about how women are treated in society and how even we raise our children to accept or to not accept things in terms of how, you know, really how we treat girls, how we treat boys and how that influences how we're uh, how we grow up and how we are, you know, are shaped into young adults yeah. and Women's rights. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. So I, <sighs> I would, I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm not a big political person. Yeah. I'm not really into like, you know, burn our bras or yeah. anything like that. But I think it's a, a must read for yeah. every man and every woman. Um, and it's, it's a book that I think uh, my husband is going to read that next. And it's just something that I think uh, it's just really important to understand how our words can influence and to shape the future for upcoming generations. That sounds fascinating. And I feel like as a parent, I need to read that. I have both a boy and a girl and I'm conscious I don't want to give them different messaging. No. And it's, it's amazing how much we're, it's on a, such a subconscious level of like, we, we treat girls like you're so pretty and you're so cute and boys are, are tough and you know, they're smart. And so using different words and, and interchanging to say that girls can be smart and girls can be tough and boys can be sweet and can be nice. And, you know, just because a boy is being aggressive doesn't mean that's an okay behavior. And by teaching him at a young age that that, you know, pushing a girl's castle over is okay. What's that teaching him when he's a teenager or when he's an adult in terms of how he gets his way? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I will definitely link to that in the show notes as well. So what are the things that stress you out and how do you (laughs) manage that stress? So I'm definitely type A. 
Um, I like to have things a certain way. I would have a show home quality house all the time if I could and my business would run perfectly and like think like I get my plan and things would run tick, 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 tick. Yeah. But we live in a real world and that never happens. And so, you know, when things change, uh, I've got a plan. This is how it's going to work out and it changes. That tends to stress me out. Uh, when my house is in disarray, that stresses me out. And so it's learning that, you know, I'm, I'm working on letting go of things that, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be perfect all the time I've actually improved a ton from when I first got married I literally couldn't go to bed with dishes in the sink before yeah and and it was just this anxiety that I would be laying in bed thinking there's dishes in the sink I need to put them away yeah uh, so I've let go of a lot of things I probably still have a ways to go but you know it's something we that I'm, do. I'm we all have our things that yeah. we, we work on uh, but for me to deal with stress is a combination of things so one is having a regular stress management practice yeah so that incorporates mindfulness and meditation and I was really resistant to it at first I was like what is this airy fairy stuff and why do I want to do it it has made such a profound difference on my you know overall anxiety um, just kind of that buzzy level of like always having to be doing things yeah I can actually relax and sit down now whereas you know even five ten years ago there was no way I could yeah. ever sit down for even a few minutes I just had to always be moving and doing things yeah so is it a guided meditation you do or like um I've recently started doing headspace yeah so that's a guided meditation, but I love honestly just meditating, just sitting there and being there with my thoughts. Yeah. Depending on how busy my brain is, sometimes I, I just can't do it because yeah. it's my, my brain's just constantly on other thoughts. So that's when a guided meditation is great. Yeah. Uh, but I love sitting on my front porch and just breathing and feeling the wind on my face yeah. and just being zen. Um, you know, so that works really well for me. Exercise is a huge way to de-stress for me. So having, you know, regular exercise in my life and then getting out to nature. Mm -hmm. So being in the mountains, getting fresh air, and I joke with my husband, but the more that I protest and say that I don't need to go to the mountains, <laughs> the more I need to go to the mountains yeah. and have just that downtime, get away from the cell phones, get away from the computers, the emails, all those things. Yeah. And, and I come back feeling way better. Yeah. This Just a side note, but my husband and I took the kids to Scotland in April. He's from Scotland. So everyone thinks it's a big deal. It's yeah. We were on this island where we both met and like internet sucks there and like I actually looked at my screen time it was way down on my phone because we were outside all the time I mean it was raining because it was Scotland but like we were on the beaches and we were just going for hikes and it was just like mentally that week was so good for me and it probably and felt like a month yeah, it was amazing. And like our kids had a blast and like everybody needs to be outside more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Even even literally, even if it's sitting outside with your laptop doing yeah. work, but just physically being outside, getting some sunshine on yeah. your skin, getting some fresh air in your lungs. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Okay. What's the best life lesson or advice that you've been given? Ooh, there's, I mean, there's so many. So one growing up, um, my parents always said this, this poem or phrase and I just thought it was something that they said and I've actually found since then it's called the serenity prayer so I'm, oh, okay. I'm not overly religious but it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference and I think that really applies so much to what I teach my clients yeah is that you know you do the best that you can with what you've got and you control the factors that you can and the ones that you can't don't stress over them just yeah. let them go and let them be and that's just what they 
they are. Yeah. And so there's this feeling of we all have to be, you know, so perfect and, you know, everything has to be just so. And the more neurotic you are about your nutrition or your exercise, the harder it is to achieve those goals. Yeah. And so sometimes it's actually doing less and simplifying and letting go of those things to, to yeah. get better results. That's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I do stress reduction coaching and one of the top things I hear is like other outside factors are things that stress people out and I often say like what is it that you can control and like work on that because you can't change other people like we cannot change (laughs) other people it's not gonna happen so it's like what is it that first line like accepting what you can't control yeah exactly interesting okay yeah and the last question Shauna is what does it mean to you to live your best life all right. So for me, living my best life means that you're an active participant in your life, that you're steering life in the direction that you want it to go and that you're not just sitting on the sidelines and just riding through life because too many times people just coast. And so we just kind of go through the motions, we go through life and we're not engaged, we're not happy, we're not inspired, we're not lit up. And so it's literally taking that steering wheel and putting it in the direction that you want to go. And sometimes that's baby steps and, and little things that you're doing one day at a time to, to shift that direction just a couple degrees one way or, or the other way but really just being in there being engaged being inspired um, and, and following things that make you feel your best yeah well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast thanks for having me today it was great mm-hmm.